All right, welcome everybody to episode one of the Rounding Third Baseball Podcast. My name is Max. I'm with. I'm here with my uh, host James. We're very excited to bring some easy to follow, easy to understand baseball content for those of you who may not be, you know, huge baseball fans. We're hoping to provide a platform for you to learn a bit, a little bit about the game and why it's the best sport. James, you got anything to add? Yeah, so hi, I'm James, by the way, other co-host, uh, and I really want to get into the why of this podcast. So kind of how we started is that Max and I were, were both huge baseball fans. That's our, that's our favorite sport. That, that's the thing we follow most. Uh, and we've noticed that viewership's declining, and obviously you look at the age demographic of baseball, and it's kind of really slipping, uh, and our generation's becoming somewhat out of touch with the game, and we think that's partly because they don't have avenues to discuss it in like a fun, digestible way. So, uh, you know, we also wanted to grow the community of people to talk baseball with because we were always talking baseball. And we're like, let's get friends. So, you know, we're kind of bringing you guys in. Yeah, as James said, we're hoping, you know, we maybe get even one person at a baseball. That would be a success. Um, so just a little bit about the podcast. You know, we're hoping to get um, an episode out every week as we lead up to the season. And then once spring training starts or middle of spring training, we're going to ramp it up and give two episodes a week. You know, one episode will be a week in review of the biggest series, biggest matchups of the week and how it went down. Um, and another, another episode will just kind of be a news and recent events episode, but we'll hash that out a little bit more once we get closer to the season. But we're hoping to provide you guys consistent baseball content, easy to, easily digestible and, and fun to learn about. James, you want to lead us right into our first topic? Well, I'll actually toss in just one more note, and that's going to be in addition to kind of keeping you up with the game, what's going on right now. We kind of want to help explain the game. We want to tell some fun stories, look back at the history, the history of the game, just kind of really bringing you into baseball. That's what we're here to do. Uh, and we want to get as many people to love the sport like we do. Uh, but as Max said, you know, before we really get into it, I just want to acknowledge uh, there were reports out of the Dominican Republic that over the weekend, Fernando Tatis Jr. was involved in a met, uh, motorcycle accident, uh, and he was transported to a medical center for treatment, but uh, he seems to be okay um, at the moment. He resumed baseball activities. Yeah, prayers up to Fernando Tatis. It seems like he's fine. He's back to baseball activities, but, you know, hopefully things like this don't happen in the future, um, but it's good to hear he's okay. You know, and, and I'll also add that, you know, you never want anyone to get injured um, doing anything, especially not baseball involved, but especially like that's a guy, I, I'm a Dodgers fan, uh, and having Fernando Tatis in the league just makes baseball better. I mean, that's a guy you can't deny. 100% agree. Well, now that, we, you know, we, we covered that brief topic, how about we jump into our first major topic, which I think um, it's hard to ignore in baseball season, which is free agency. Um, we're going to walk through a variety of different free agent signings that have happened and provide some details about them. And, yeah, and just the new teams, the old teams, the contract, what it means for the season next year. And then we'll go into the free agents who have not yet signed. Yeah, so I think this one, you know, not necessarily a free agent at the moment, but this extension was just signed, and I'm going to be honest, I'm pretty fired up about it. But that's got to be Wander Franco, a 20-year-old shortstop for the Rays, and this kid was a number one pipeline prospect. He's come in. Uh, this was his rookie year that just concluded. He's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. For those who don't know, Wander Franco – he was the number one prospect in baseball for the Tampa Bay Rays. Got called up this year. Um, actually didn't win Rookie of the Year. Came in second place to his own teammate, Randy Arozarena. But was an absolute stud. 288 batting average. 281 at-bats. 81 hits. Um, didn't play the full season. But, you know, uh, 810 OPS as a rookie, as a 20-year-old, was absolutely amazing. But you want to tell us a little bit about this contract he got? Yeah. And, and I think one thing, just while you have uh, Wander Franco's stats in your head, let me just drop a comparison real quick. And that's got to be Carlos Correa, who, by the way, is an upcoming free agent about to hit his bag. But his rookie year, he batted 279. He had an 857 OPS with a 4.8 uh, war. So that's wins above replacement. 
So, you know, and that's very similar, very spot on. So that's a guy who's going to probably get a very large contract. We'll see. And then uh, let me talk about that contract that I'm so fired up about and I think makes this deal ridiculous. Um, and that's, this is a $223 million contract over 12 years. Uh, so the 12th year is a club option, but that is pitting Wander Franco at 18.58 million average value. And so, so I guess that seems like a lot of money, right? $223 million for a 20 year old. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot of money, but why does this get you so fired up? Well, so you look at how long it's going to be. He's on a, he's on a 12 year extension now as a 20 year old. So he's signed through 32, you know, and baseball by 32, you're still playing. You're still doing good. He'll be able to sign a contract, but he's past the prime. You look at the mega deals and baseball. I mean, that's what it's right for. That's why I would push my kid, my kids to play baseball because these mega long-term deals. And one of those that was just signed, you can look at Corey Seager, who's a 27-year-old shortstop signing right in his prime, the mega deal. Uh, and we'll actually get along to that a little bit later on. But, I mean, you look at that deal, he's going to be getting roughly $32 million a year average value. At that same time, Wander Franco is going to be getting $18 million. Uh, and that's just ridiculous. And that's why I want to look at Carlos Correa, too, because he's about to sign another elite shortstop at 26. I guarantee he's making more than 18.5 a million. So, you know, Max, I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I, I mean, I think there are two ways to look at this. I think, one, he's just finished his rookie year and he's 20 years old. So that is by no means a guarantee that he's going to be a stud in two, three, four, five, six years. So, you know, one argument could be, well, secure the bag while you can. Um, but another argument is it's a 12-year contract and you're 20 years old. Do you really need to sign a contract that takes up the majority of your playing career and probably all of your prime playing years? Couldn't you have just signed a shorter deal and then renegotiated after a couple of years that maybe better reflected your, your market fit? Probably. But you know, good for him. I mean, he's getting paid. Um, hopefully it works out for him in the long run. You know, he's just had his rookie season and he's already signing a massive extension. It's funny, baseball is one of those only sports where you see people sign like these 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year contracts. It's, it's really, it's really insane. And I, we'll, we'll get to some salary stuff later when we discuss the lockout, but it's, it's an interesting contract. And I mean, what would you do? Say you're a 20-year-old player, you came off an amazing season, batted 288, um, and you're offered a 12-year contract for over $200 million. I mean, me, a lot of money. Let me just add in, on his contract, $182 million of that is guaranteed, and that's also the largest contract for a player with one year of MLB service or less. Uh, but yeah, so $182 million guaranteed at 20 years old to to, to go into your kind of thing, validate the other perspective. I, I mean, yeah, I, I totally, what do you think though? What would you, what would you do? You come off one year, you're the number one prospect in baseball and you're handed out just a monster contract, 19 million a year. Um, and, and I bet you, he, he knows that, you know, there's a chance that he could have made more money if he turned down this deal, but it's just such a guarantee that you're going to, be able to live a happy lifestyle for the rest of your career well and of course to to make the decision it's impossible to tell because there's a world where he signs a three-year deal year two his career ends somehow tragically you know like you right. you can look back retrospectively and you never know but i think of that situation i push and i tell the rays you know which i think by the way Ray's incredible play i mean brilliant to sign this dude this is their first time using money uh, since evan longoria so that's huge um and this is definitely worth the sign but i think in his position you try and push and you go you know what if you want to go long i'll go six years i'll go to 26 or 27 six seven that's the length i'll give you you can even take it same value maybe take it you know 15 million i don't know but i think that's a better play and then you hit some of these free agent shortstops, you know, Lindor last year, just they are making bags, 26, 27. They're getting ridiculous. 300 million. It's like, ah, uh, I don't know. 
Yeah, we'll see how it works out. Talking about securing the bag, let's move to our next player, Max Scherzer, who signed three years, $130 million with the Mets, giving him an, an average of over $43 million a season, which is the largest annual contract in baseball, destroying the previous record of Garrett Coles at 36. Um, you know, this is what I have to say about this. Max Scherzer is an incredible pitcher. I mean, three-time Cy Young winner, came in third place last year. Um, he's 37 years old, which is old, but he, Max Scherzer has not digressed at all. I mean, he's top, top, top of his game. Um, it does include an opt-out after two years, which is, is, is in the player's benefit. We'll see what happens. But, man, he got a great deal. I mean – I got to jump into this. And again, as a Dodgers fan, this should hurt. I mean, I appreciate what he did. And honestly, making that trade just to beat the Giants in the playoffs, 100% worth it. I'll take that every day. Uh, but I'm almost happy they didn't sign him to this. Not that he's not incredible, but it's kind of ridiculous to give a 37-year-old $130 million for three years of service. I mean, last year he looked incredible. I don't think he's going to slow down. But, of course, you wonder because, you know, father time is ticking. Um, and it's like $43 million a year is a lot to pay someone who's just serviceable. Yeah, and the Mets have been spending money like crazy. I mean, they got Lindor last year on top contract in baseball. Now they have Scherzer. Um, I mean, they have a lot of good players. Um, pairing Scherzer with the best pitcher in baseball, Jacob deGrom. I mean, assuming both of them stay healthy, Lindor has a bit of a bounce-back season. I mean, you have a lot of good players. Alonzo at first. I mean, we'll see what that team can do. I like Scherzer and DeGrom. DeGrom always seems to get hurt, but it's hard to go wrong when, when those are your, the first two in your rotation. I mean, so if you keep in mind, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. These guys are both stay healthy, you know, hoping that they do. In that case, when that's your one-two punch, if they play like how DeGrom started last year and how Scherzer closed after he was traded at the Dodgers, I mean, if you're sitting there in the NL East, I'm sorry, your batting average is going down. Like, this is ridiculous pitching to, to face. We're talking about two hits, three hits. Three hits, no earned runs, that's a bad game for Scherzer. And it's ridiculous. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what he keeps doing. We'll see what happens in the NL East. You have the defending champion Braves who – are only going to get better with Ronald Acuna coming back. You have the NL MVP, Bryce Harper, um, leading the Phillies, who seem to always, you know, do pretty well. And then you have this, this Mets team, who seems like they should be better than they are. They were first place in the NL East for most of the year and then kind of tapered off and tanked at the end, um, mainly due to DeGrom missing the rest of the season. But we'll see. I mean – they're, they're definitely putting all their chips in the middle and hoping that the board runs out in their favor. We'll see what happens. So the question I have for you then, Max, is are the Mets World Series contenders next year? I, I would say that they it, – it's too hard to really tell. I would say that, yes, they have a chance to win a World Series. They have the talent to win a World Series. The question is um, – First of all, they don't even have a manager right now. So we'll see who they hire as their manager. We'll see if they can stay healthy. But from a pure on-paper standpoint, they have the talent to compete for a World Series. We'll see how it pans out, though. Yeah, I, I think that's a good analysis. What I've said, what I would say is if you look at the World Series winners in the last, you know, say five to ten years, it's pretty clear that having the better pitching rotation gives you a serious edge that that's kind of where you lean into. Um, and, you know, if you're talking about pitching rotations, as we said, if these guys are healthy in there and, and they pitch how they, how they do, that's, that's the best, I think, starting rotation you can have. I don't even think it matters if you go four levels. I mean, those two ridiculous arms. Yeah, we'll see. All right, let's talk about our next player who signed a big one-year deal. We have Noah Syndergaard who signed with the always underperforming Los Angeles Angels. Um, I think this is interesting. Um, you know, signing Syndergaard one year, $21 million to a team that is desperate for pitching. 
for a team that has Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, I mean, you have no excuses. You have no excuses. They, they, hopefully Syndergaard pitches well. Um, but just a little breakdown on this. He only pitched two innings in 2021 before missing the rest of the year. And in the year before, he had a good year. Um, or, or I'm, I'm sorry, in, tw- in 2019, he didn't have a great year. He had a 4.2 ERA, a whip above 1.2, which is walks plus hits per innings pitch. So basically how many base runners, runners you're allowing per inning. And he had an AL leading 94 earned runs allowed. So he's been underperforming recently, but he does have a history of playing well when he was on the Mets. I mean, he's a solid pitcher if he can perform to the level that we've seen in the past. Which, real quick, let me just establish the link here. The Mets lost this guy. Uh, so the answer, like, we'll bring in Scherzer. So you got to love that play from them. But uh, as far as this is concerned, I think – this is the right moves, right move from the Angels in terms of just taking their chips and pushing it all in to use what you said. And I think you had to just look at the fact that you have Mike Trout, have had Mike Trout, the greatest player in baseball, undisputed, no question. Potentially, now you can start to look at Ever if his career runs out. I agree. Who can't get to the playoffs? And you have the, and now it's like, okay, well, now we have the AL MVP who's ridiculous, led the league in homers. But while being a great ace, I mean, just – and you still can't get to the playoffs. Their weakness has always been the pitching. So, they're like, all right, they're trying to make plays. But it's quite the gamble. I mean, you have – and it's also a, a gamble uh, on behalf of Noah because, you know, one year, who knows, it could get worse. But also $21 million on a guy who, as you said, who knows if he's productive. But Max uh, – you look at this Angels team now, you know, not too many changes, but a little splash here in the pitching. And, you know, we're not done with the offseason. We don't know what else they're at. But from way too far out, you think they can make the playoffs for Mike Trout? Um, see, this, so this is the thing. Um, they, they have an incredible roster, or they have an incredible field. I mean, on paper. They have Anthony Rendon, who was – Absolutely incredible in the 2019 Nationals World Series team. They have Shohei Otani, who speaks for himself. And they have the GOAT in Mike Trout. And in any other sport, you would never talk about um, a player and call him the GOAT when he's never even made the playoffs. That's just not even it, – it doesn't make sense. You never talk about LeBron not making the playoffs. You never talk about Tom Brady not making the playoffs. But in baseball, that's where we sit. And unfortunately, that's the way it is. We'll see. Um, the thing is for the Angels is that they are in a semi-tough division. Um, the Astros are perennially good. We'll see, you know, where Correa goes and how that stuff plays out. The Mariners have added a lot of pieces, and they were a 91 team last year. They barely missed the playoffs. And the A's have been very consistent in competing for some of those wild card spots. And not to mention – you now have the Texas Rangers, who, despite being a 102-loss team last year, picked up, and we'll touch on this, picked up two incredible infielders and are, are not done yet. So it's a tough division to be there, um, and, and we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if Mike Trout can stay healthy. We'll see if Otani can stay healthy. And I guess we'll see if Syndergaard can stay healthy, too, for all of, last, for all of this season. I mean, so you can see the Angels' entire success or hopes of success is all predicated on we'll see. But, I, you know, the Angels organization drives me nuts on one front because of the switch to L.A. Angels when it's like, no, you're Anaheim, you're 45. This is ridiculous. So I don't like them on that front. But then just to have a player as good as Trout and you lock him up for his career, that was the 14-year contract you referenced, which, I mean, it's the right play. But to hold a guy like that, and keep him from the playoffs, keep baseball from having Mike Trout in the play. It's criminal, and it pisses me off. But, you know, we'll see. They're trying to make moves. But as you said, division's tough. So, you know, but, man, still no excuses. You have a reigning MVP. You have the greatest player. Come on, stop the excuses. Yeah, I mean, who uh, doesn't want to see an L.A. L.A. World Series matchup, Kershaw Game 7 pitching to Mike Trout? I mean, come on. I would love to see that. Uh, you know, speaking of things that 
you don't love to see. <laughs> this was a uh, free agent signing uh, that just came out of left field. I kind of just saw it on Twitter and was like, what? Like, like what is this? Uh, and that's got to be your man, Javi, worst tattoo of all time, uh, signing a six-year, $140 million deal with uh, the Detroit Tigers. Um, so opting to spend his time in Detroit, Michigan, not something I probably would want to do. Yeah, first of all, Javi Baez is not my man. I don't like Javi Baez. It's pretty biased. I'm a Cardinal fan, um, but it is what it is. I don't think he's a winning player. I think he reminds me a little bit of Russell Westbrook. Um, if we're making a cross-sport comparison, I think he's flashy. Um, you know, and I think his stats say he's flashy. I mean, he has a 30% strikeout rate and a 4% walk rate. I mean, he just swings for the fences every time. Um, I do think he has a lot of swag in the infield. I think he's a good fielder. Um, but, but I agree with you. Six years, $140 million with the Tigers. Um, we'll see what the Tigers do. There's been a lot of rumors about Carlos Correa going to the Tigers because the Tigers manager, A.J. Hinch, was the, I guess you could say, infamous manager during their cheating years. Um, and they might have a connection and want to do something. You know, the Tigers are a good organization. They've had a history of competing pretty well. But in the AL Central, um, but it, it's weird. It, it's kind of out of left field. Um, I don't. I don't know about the Tigers. I don't think they're gonna compete for anything. Um, they've added. They've had an, a few other signings. They signed Tucker Barnhart, the catcher from the Reds, and a left-hander Eduardo Rodriguez. But those are not, you know, trajectory-changing players. I think. I, I think the Tigers are going to be a, a non-factor unless they add Correa and some other players. And I think Javi is going to maybe put up numbers, but I, I, I don't think anything's going to change with him. You know, let me just, by the way, the annual value of Javi's contract, and mind you, you know, like you said, he's good, he's flashy, maybe sell tickets, but Javi's not really a guy who's winning you much uh, with a 30% strikeout rate. Um, but his annual value, $23 million. This fool has signed for a bigger deal than Wander Franco will get in his prime. So that, this just goes to show you why I get so peeved by that. And then also, speaking of things to get peeved by, you can't just bring it up on the fly. A.J. Hinch, he's terrible. I don't believe he should be anywhere in the game of baseball. I think he's a disgrace to the sport. Uh, so I would like Correa to stay tied to him. You know, because obviously Correa also questionable if he should be in the sport. Uh, if you don't know what I'm referring to, that would be the Houston Astros cheating scandal, uh, which I'm sure we'll do a podcast on sometime. Uh, yeah, that will get me real riled up. But, think, you know, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was just going to go, you know, you look at this contract, as you said, unless, you know, Detroit really starts to play their cards right or get involved. I think this is likely pretty much it for Javi. I mean, I think this is, is the end of his relevancy and, and, you know, last last big contract he'll get. I agree. I mean, he's 29 right now. He'll be 35 by the time that contract is up. This is probably it. We'll see what happens. I think that's enough talking about Javi Baez. Um, let's move on to our next player, our first pitcher. on the. Actually, that's, he's not our first pitcher. We've had majority pitchers. Um, but Kevin Gossman signing with the Blue Jays. Um, I think this is an incredible deal. For those who don't know, uh, Kevin Gossman was a pitcher on the Giants last year who, who really was one of the biggest factors in them completely overperforming. For those who don't know, like before last year, um, the, the projections for the Giants were, you know, bottom of the division, bottom of the NL West. They were a non-starter, basically. And they absolutely destroyed in a big part to Kevin Gossman's pitching. And now him going to a, the Blue Jays, who are getting better and better every year with an incredible young core, great pitching. I think this is a win all around. Yeah, I mean, you know, just the, we're coming off a career year here for Kevin Gossman. 
You're talking about MLB leading 33 starts with a 2.81 ERA, 1.04 WHIP, uh, which of course, as we said, that's runners or walks and hits per inning. You know, so a 14 and six record. I mean, this guy was incredible. As you said, the Giants crushed expectations. Uh, this guy was pretty much their ace, and he really got them there. And as you said, I mean, I think the Blue Jays are up there for a team to watch and going to be scary. And locking this guy up for five years with your young core, wow. Yeah, no question about it. Gossman, Hinjin Ryu, the rest of their great starting pitching, adding on Bo Bichette, Vlad, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who would have won AL MVP any other year. I think this is a team that can really make a push. The biggest problem for them, and I've said this about the Angels too, is they're in a great division. I mean, the Rays have been really good the past couple of years from going to the World Series, getting the first place in the AL last year. They are a great team. And on top of that, you have the Yankees and Red Sox, who are always willing to spend money and are always competing. And the Blue Jays, I think they have the talent to really win this division and make a good push. The biggest question mark I have about Gosman is he had one great year. Um, the rest of his years, they've been good. He's been okay. He's been up and down. But he had one incredible year, and the question is, can he keep it up? And can he really be a number one ace on this team that's bound to make a push for the World Series? Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. And, you know, just as it was in San Francisco, as good as every other piece in Toronto is, I think this pretty much comes down to if Kevin Gossman is the pitcher he was last year, they're a dangerous team looking at maybe winning that division, you know, really making a push. If not, if he's just serviceable, I don't think they make the playoffs, truthfully. Agreed. I mean, we'll see. It's a tough division. We'll see. If he's not good, they might miss the playoffs, like you said. Let's move to another pitcher and head back to the AL West. Um, a pitcher that I think isn't a big household name, despite the fact that he won AL Cy Young last year. We have Robbie Ray going to the Mariners. I think this is great, too. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing you got to say is, like you said, the Mariners last year were right there in it, pushing to the very last second, 90 wins. I mean – and this is a guy that they really can use to solidify what they have going there. And as you said, I mean, Robbie Ray, not really a guy that's talked about frequently when you're talking about, you know, big name pitchers and all that. But this guy, you know, he led AL starters in ERA last year at 284, 248 strikeouts, pitch 193rd and a third innings uh, with 32 starts. And his uh, whip was 1.045. So that's a guy who's, I mean, super just – I mean, that's a great, great, solid, consistent pitcher. Uh, and I'm excited to see what Seattle can do. But as you said, man, the AL West, it, that's a tough division. And, you know, so is the NL West. It's just a lot of tough divisions now in base, which is exciting. Yeah, and I think this is pretty similar to Gossman. I mean, Robbie Ray didn't have great stats before this last year. Um, he wasn't a great pitcher. He signed with the Mariners for cheap. But then he just absolutely overperformed last year. AL leading ERA, AL leading strikeouts, AL leading innings pitched, AL leading starts, AL leading whip. I mean, absolutely incredible. He won AL Cy Young by a mile. We'll see how much it helps Seattle. He signed for five years, $115 million, where just for comparison, Gossman signed five years, one ten. We'll see. I mean, it's exciting. And I guess we're just – we're doing um, – an AL, an AL West show here. Let's go to the Texas Rangers, who maybe made some of the biggest splashes in free agency. Yeah, and, you know, let me just say, I don't – I didn't really think this was coming. You know, when this offseason approached, I knew there were names going, but I, I don't know. I guess the Rangers have just really fallen off the wagon recently, so I didn't necessarily think that they were going to come in. And, 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 I mean, come in, they, did, they shoved all the – so let's just talk about uh, – my man, this one was tough. Uh, Corey Seager, they locked him up 10 years, $325 million. That's a 32.5 average value. Uh, that basically gets him through his career when he's 37. But, I mean, Corey Seager is awesome. That's an incredible guy you could build a franchise around. Uh, that's a guy, rookie of the year. He's a two-time All-Star. Uh, the main reason he doesn't have more All-Stars is he's had a couple issues with prolonged injuries. Uh, but, I mean, when he's healthy, that guy's crazy. NLCS MVP, World Series MVP. I mean, 
really got it done for the for the Dodgers. So, I mean, that's a great place to start. And I don't know if you want to talk about uh, how they rounded out their infield, Max. Yeah, so, I mean, throwing Corey Seager in at short, how about let's pair him with one of the probably the best second baseman in all of baseball, uh, Marcus Simeon. Signed seven years, $175 million. I don't think that Marcus Simeon is talked about enough. He is an absolute killer. I mean, he has hit more home runs last year than any second baseman ever. He is always in the MVP hunt. Um, I think he's just an incredible player. Um, and I think getting him with Corey Seager in the middle, those are two big bats. Those are two bats, two good infielders controlling the middle of the infield that I think give this team a real shot. Um, we'll see what else they do. It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to fix all their problems. They were a very, very, very bad team last year. But, you know, the offseason's not over. We'll see what else they can do. Yeah, you know, one of those things that there's been some rumblings about, and as you say, they're not done yet, is uh, Corey Seager allegedly has been trying to record, uh, recruit Kershaw to sign with the Texas Rangers. Texas, Texas yeah, Texas Rangers. Uh, and it's been interesting because that is pretty much the only other team that competes with LA for him because that's close to where that, that's his home. So that's one of the plays, pretty much on the place he'd leave for. So that could be a big move there. But anyways, I mean, talk about awakening a beast or something. They just went from a, a terrible no-name team, you know, just not even really anything to watch there to, wow, I mean, you have have some some guys I mean those are games that I'll be excited to watch get them on Sunday night baseball uh you know exciting stuff for sure for sure well I think those are the main free agents we wanted to cover how about we talk about our top five available free agents so these are players that have not signed yet but are out on the market give me your five what do you think who do you think are the five most valuable players well of course so let me uh start by saying these guys, there will be no action with them uh, until we get out of this lockout period. So right now we're kind of in a pause, but these are the guys on the other side. Uh, and for my five, I kind of split it up. I decided I wanted to take three players from the field. I took two uh, out of the arm barn. So, you know, the players that I decided, I think the, the number one most impactful in the field for me has got to be Freddie Freeman. I mean, guys, incredible. Um, he speaks for himself right there. I think that's the guy you can build a team around. Uh, along those same lines, I was really looking for guys that can make a big impact because the list is very long. There's a lot of good names this year, but I was looking for impact guys, and one of those I think is Trevor Story. I think Trevor Story is one of the most underrated. Uh, he's an incredible shortstop. I could not believe he wasn't dealt at the deadline last year, uh, which was very unfortunate. I actually had the Colorado Rockies season total under uh, – and it did not hit because they did not trade him. And I thought that would happen. That's got to be the second most impactful guy. And, you know, after that, I think you have to, as much as I hate it, I think it is Carlos Correa. And I hate that fact. But just, I mean, that's a, a serious improvement. Great shortstop right there. Instantly, he's going to make a major change. So the other names are, you know, very good. They're great bats. But I don't think they're necessarily guys that, are bringing you to the playoffs as much as they're guys that are just helping or supplementary. And then my two pitchers, uh, I have to go, you know, some personal bias, but also I do think one of the best remaining pitchers is Clayton Kershaw. Um, just incredible. I'm really hoping that right when this lockout ends, I'll see he signs with LA. But while there's some injury concerns, he shows that even with age, He's a great starting pitcher to have. And then, of course, I think I have to throw in Carlos Rodon. Uh, he was incredible for Chicago White Sox nearly, uh, in this last season. Nearly threw a perfect game. Yeah, he, he had the uh, – it was a slider that went in and hit the guy on the back foot, and that's what cost him a perfect game. Instead, he just decided, elected for a no-hitter. Um, quite an incredible performance there, but – that's a great picture. So what do you think of my five? What's your five, Max? I mean, Let's I think it. five are good. I, I, I do have some similarities. I think my, my number five is Nick Castellanos. I think he was, you know, I watch a lot of NL Central baseball. I think he just absolutely hammers the ball. Um, I think he could be a big bat on a good team. 
I, I see him in Yankee pinstripes for some reason, but we'll see where he goes. I think he'll be a big signing. My number four, um, I would say, is Chris Bryant. Um, I, Chris Bryant is incredible. Um, I, you know, Chris Bryant, I don't think a lot of people realize how big he is. Um, he is an absolute monster at the plate. He is an, the ultimate utility guy. I mean, he started games at left field, right field, third base, first base. Um, he's really can do it all while also batting, you know, extremely well. Um, my number three, um, is Carlos Correa. Like you said, I mean, you can say whatever you want about him. He is a great batter. He's a great fielder. He's a great player. That's all I'll say. Number two, I'm going to go with Anthony Rizzo. Um, I think he is a great first baseman, a great bat, a great teammate, a great leader that I think he can really fit in in a lot of different teams. Obviously, he went from the Cubs to the Yankees midseason this year. We'll see if he stays in New York. Um, I'd like to see him go somewhere else, personally. And finally, like you said, number one, Freddie Freeman. Um, you know, perennially one of the best players in baseball, um, NL MVP, World Series champion. I mean, it's like you said, he speaks for himself. Those, were, those are the five free agents that I'm looking to – see you know sign um who i'm most looking forward to see to sign and like these are big names those are big names that we're talking about and the big names we've said that have already signed are i mean scherzer simeon seager now you have correa bryant story freeman rizzo castellanos kershaw this, this is a big off season you know and and i would also add i threw the pitchers in you know just to kind of get some excitement I don't think either one of them's impact is big enough as much as I love Clayton Kershaw to say they're top five. But even for me, you know, if we kept our overlap, uh, which was Freddie Freeman and Carlos Correa, I would still, I would have a hard time trying to pick between uh, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Nick Castellanos uh, to round out my last two spots. Because, you know, as you said, those are some incredible players and even players that we haven't listed, you know, you have Kyle Schwarber, Starling Marte. I mean, th this is an incredible offseason. So hopefully that's going to motivate ownership to help move us out of this lockout uh, and, you know, sign some of these guys. I totally agree. Before we touch on the lockout, um, you want to lead us into our next topic, kind of give us an overview of what this is? Yeah. So, you know, here's, a, here's what's happened. On November 30th, there was a report from Business Insider author William Bradford Davis uh, essentially comes out with the big headline, you know, the MLB was using two different balls and the players don't know, the teams didn't know. Two different styles of balls were being used in games. Who knows? This whole report is based on research that was done by Meredith Wells. Um, and Meredith has been doing baseball-specific research for many, many years, uh, including game ball dissection for many years. So she actually found this uh, by opening the baseballs and seeing, oh, these game balls that are both from 2021 and should be uniform are di have different characteristics and they're different. Uh, so that's kind of what happened. So how does this impact the game? Well, so, you know, what happens is if you have two different balls, and let's say teams and players don't know about it. Let's assume that the ownership gets control. So the, the league, but of course the league really is just the board of the ownership, um, gets control of these balls. So you have your big games where there's going to be a lot of eyes on them. You know, think the playoffs, opening day, Field of Dreams, uh, some of the Sunday night baseball games where a lot of people are tuned in. You send the ball that, you know, does better you know, better scoring baseball. It's going to fly a little further to get some homers, easier to get hard hit balls. And then in your regular games where they're not as, as big of matchups, that's where you send those softballs that, you know, are going to drive down player stats because they're not as beneficial to the batter. And why that's helpful is, you know, when player stats start to get crazy and you have people batting 300 consistently, contract values go way, way up. So ownership actually wants to push that down while keeping eyes on baseball and keep marketing in the big games. And so just, just so people understand, this was not, you know, it's all a conspiracy that it was done 
with with ill intent by the MLB. They, there was a baseball shortage because of COVID that that caused them to have to resort to using two different balls. And they allegedly did tell the MLB Players Association about it, um, but they, they refused to comment. But like you said, they would they would use these different types of balls in Sunday night baseball games, in the Field of Dreams games, or games where there's a lot of viewership on and they want action to happen. And for people who haven't been following it, the, the juice balls has kind of been a story for the past couple of years because the home run numbers have been going up and up and up and up in the past several years. And a lot of players wanted to address it. A lot of pitchers wanted to address it. And the MLB did say that they were doing different things with the balls and changing them from year to year. Um, but I think the biggest thing here is that they're using two different types of balls. And in baseball, your stats are everything. Your stats determine how much you're going to get paid. Your stats determine what team you're going to play for. The stats determine your entire career. And so if you're on a team that doesn't get these big games and you're not able to put up at these big numbers and big stats and, and what, it, what it have it, you're going to suffer. And I think that is unfair for players. Um, you know, we'll see what happens if there's any, you know, we'll see what the fallout is, what happens next season. But they, this, they should not be using different balls. It doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right there that you just, you want all stats to be equal. So in the free agent market, everyone's batting average is the batting average, at least on the same field. Because even if the balls are juiced season to season, everyone's competing in the juiced ball with the stats. Uh, so, you know, you, you want those to be even, but this is all this giant conspiracy, you know, it, it just kind of isn't a thing. Really what happened here is like you said, the MLB sent a letter to the players association, you know, apparently they have that. Now they may have failed to distribute to specific teams, players. And that's kind of why I assume they are, they're not commenting. Uh, but what happened is Rawlings, which does all the game balls for the MLB and actually is owned by the MLB. You know, they just had a shortage producing it because of COVID. You know, everything was slowing down. So what happened is when they shipped the inventory of balls to a team, whenever there was a shortage, they just mixed in some of the excess inventory of last year's balls. So that was 2020 balls um, into the 2021 balls. So there really was no control of what specific games happened. You can imagine a big box of baseballs all mixed together. So really nothing nefarious, but, you know, the implications if – you know, it's just something to look at. You want those balls to be the same, and there should probably be some sort of control to make sure the MLB is not doing crazy things with the baseball. So we're very happy that Meredith Wells is doing this research to, to keep things in check. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's something to keep a lookout. Um, it's something that we wanted to touch on. Um, and I think I'm ready to move on to our final topic, if, if you are. I'm going to go ahead and introduce this. Um, so for those of you who don't know, the MLB um, on December 1st entered into a lockout. Um, and this is the, I, think, I believe it's the ninth lockout. Um, and I might be wrong there, but it's, it's one of the few lockouts in the history of MLB. Um, and for those who don't know what a lockout is, basically it is when the collective bargaining agreement, which is an agreement between the owners, um, basically the owners and the MLB, and the Players Association. It's an agreement between them, which basically dictates everything in the game, from how much the players are going to get paid, to what the playoffs look like, to free agency, to how long the season is, to arbitration. All of that is included in this collective bargaining agreement. And on December 1st, the current collective bargaining agreement between the MLBPA, the Players Association, and the MLB and its owners expired. And so during a lockout, all activity between players and teams is halted. No free agency, you can't sign with anybody, no practices, no off-season workouts. In fact, there's absolutely no communication between teams and players. You can go on MLB.com right now and look up any player, and you'll see a gray face there. They, they won't even show players' faces on the website. So it's, it's, it's a big deal, and it can become a bigger deal depending on how long this lasts. So just to give you an overview of what does this look like right now, um, the last MLB and MLBPA, so the last bargaining agreement was written in 2016, um, so five years ago, and it expired on December 1st. Um, and right now, 
they can come to an agreement before the season starts and everything will be fine and no games will be lost. But they, they need to come to an agreement before the season starts in just over three months. Um, and so negotiations need, will take place between the players and the owners, between um, the players' associations, um, lead Tony Clark, his former big, big leaguer, and Rob Manfred, the commissioner of the MLB. Um, and there's lots of pressure on both sides to get this done because really the, the, the league can't afford to miss more games after the economic fallout of the pandemic. So there's a lot of pressure on both sides to get something done. Um, and and we'll, we'll get a little bit into why this is going on and what the different sides want. But James, do you have anything to say on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I would just round it up by saying, you know, right now it's not necessarily a problem. They're negotiating. It, you know, the player associated is effectively a union negotiating with the MLB. Um, but there is potential to be a problem here. We've seen, you know, you were correct, this is the ninth lockout. And we've seen, and some of them, there's been five other lockouts where no games were lost. You know, but then you have some lockouts where some games were lost, 1972, 86 games were lost. But if you really want to talk about lockouts, you look at 1994. The entire season was canceled, the whole postseason. There was no World Series. That's the worst one. So that's kind of – that's the potential of what we could see here. As you said, with the economic, the push, all sides need paid. These free agents need signed. You know, and if you just signed Corey Seager, Max Scherzer, these big names, you want them in the facility. You want them, like, with the team. So hopefully there's a push and we don't lose games. Uh, right. because of that, you know, we want baseball back when it should be. So hopefully early February, a deal has been struck. And, and of course, throughout the year, uh, the offseason, as this is formulated, we'll keep you updated uh, because that kind of is what's going on with baseball right now. Right. And I, so it's, it's important to look at what's, what's causing this. The biggest thing and the biggest thing the players want changed about the current collective bargaining agreement is that, well, they're, they're, this is a multi-layered issue, but they believe that the players who between one and three years of service should be paid more. And if you look at the revenue coming into Major League Baseball, it has gone up every single year. But the, those sorts of players, the one to three years, their contracts are staying about the same, if not going down. And so there are many amendments that the players want to that. But one of the biggest things and the biggest issue about that is that the MLB basically promotes losing. You know, they reward losing by giving you first draft picks, better draft picks. And there's really, there's no salary cap in baseball, so you can play, pay players whatever you want. So you look at a team like the Orioles mm -hmm. or the Guardians or um, I, can't, I can't think of another team off the top of my uh, head. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is that one. You get these teams that are paying their entire payrolls like thirty million or something, and then you look at the Mets who are paying Max Scherzer forty-three million dollars every year. So there's a vast disparity between the players at the top who are get, getting paid a lot and the players at the bottom who aren't getting paid much at all. And so you have these free agents kind of in the middle who don't really have a place to land because teams don't necessarily want to pay them because teams at the bottom don't want to spend a lot of money. They just want to lose and then get a good draft pick and lose and get a good draft pick. And so there's a lot of pushback about that. A lot of the players want the minimum salary to increase and the age that you can start getting a salary increase to be younger. Um, and on top of that, there, there are a bunch of other things that can come out of the collective bargaining agreement. There's a lot of push for a National League DH and expanded playoffs that allow the best team in each league to get a bye, and then division winners get to choose their wild card opponent, a pitch clock. You know, all this stuff is kind of included in this collective bargaining agreement. But the major point of contention is that the owners don't want to have to pay more for, the, more for these players. Um, and that's the biggest disparity in baseball. You know, there's no other sport where teams like the Yankees um, or the Dodgers spend a lot of money and then teams like the Orioles like, don't spend any money at all. And so it's kind of a way to even the playing field and allow for some of these younger players to, to get what they deserve and have opportunities to make the money that they're playing for. 
you know, and you even look at that and some of the fact that they're not really getting paid their value is what leads into, say, your Wander Franco saying, fine, I'll take 18 million because that's so much more now than what I am getting paid. Uh, you know, so, so and that in a way is not really fair leveraging, you know, they're setting that up. One thing I would like to say that I'd like to see out of the uh, new collective bargaining agreement is adding the DH to the National League. And before you go crazy on me, I used to be a huge like NL guy, like hate it. I thought the DH was like the, the cop out, the easy way out. And then the COVID season happened and I got to see just having a DH and it's just like, why are we doing that? Like, why are we, you know, every time you go through the lineup, we have to subject the fans to either just a strikeout one, two, three down the middle, no question, or just, oh, wow, he made a bump. What an incredible play getting the out at you know, first, and as long as you don't bond into a double play, it was a win. I'm actually with you. I'm with you. I, I, I think pitching, I, you know, just the team I follow, the Cardinals, like we had three or four pitchers get hurt batting this year. It's, it's, it, I think it's just outdated, you know. I, I don't like it. I'd rather have somebody else step in the plate, step up to the plate and bat. But like we said, um, that's what the players want. Um, they want to get paid more at younger ages when they're at the prime because that's what they feel like they deserve. And they want kind of the cycle of teams rebuilding, also known as tanking. Uh, they believe that's limiting payrolls and they would like some guardrails within the system. And the ownership doesn't want anything. They believe the Major League Baseball players have the best system in all of sports. Um, they're open to a few tweaks, but no dramatic change. And if we want to see baseball in the spring, they need to come to an agreement, which I'm optimistic they will. Yeah, I, I think the pressure here, you know, early last season, um, or I guess in the COVID season, they were going back and forth with how to do this. And, you know, I believe Rob Manfred and the league kind of handled it wrong, and it cost us a lot of games, which is how we got a 60-game season, um, which I thought was really cool. But, uh, you know, we all want the full thing, uh, and we want to get the season going back as it should be. And I think, you know, for the first time, there's kind of motivations on both sides, especially economically. Ownership no longer can sit back and just, oh, we'll be fine, we're billionaires. Because as you said, I mean, they, they operated with net losses a lot, like lost a lot of money. So they need, to, they need all the revenue they can get with these games being on. So hopefully they come to an agreement, we get spring training, we get to start the season as it should be, and I cannot wait to start next season. Yeah, it's going to be good. I can't wait, too. Um, well, I think those covers are three major topics of the day. Um, hopefully, you guys enjoy kind of the way we set it up. Hopefully, that's like news you can use. Um, hopefully, it's, it's a quick rundown of the major stories in baseball. Yeah, you know, really, and just we also want to have a conversation here. So, you know, one thing I would say is follow us on Twitter. Uh, rounding third now uh, and that's you know three rd now um we kind of want to have a conversation so who are your top five free agents you know tweet at us let us know anything you agree disagree with uh we want to build a community and be able to have people just keep talking baseball um as we said we're planning on releasing weekly up until we get to spring training in the season where we'll ramp it up um so next week um, we know at least we definitely want to touch on the AL MVP race, which was just a phenomenal, incredible thing. You keep in mind, this was a unanimous MVP, Shohei Otani, all the votes, Vlad Guerrero Jr., no votes, but second place. Um, you know, it, it's quite the topic. So we'll be diving in. We'll talk about some other things in baseball. Um, so make sure you're subscribed, follow us on Spotify, um, uh, and get to Twitter and, you know, let's talk baseball. Yep. Looking forward to starting this journey and building a community of, of baseball fans, new and old. Um, hopefully you guys tune in next week. Next Friday, we'll have the episode two out. Talk to you guys next week. Yeah. Thanks, everyone.